probably one of the things that's the most expensive thing to us. It can help us grow and it can literally destroy us. And I think sometimes people look at relationships and think that it's, oh, these people are lucky because they have such a great marriage. It's not something that happens. It's something that's created. It's something that's made. Hello and hola, friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. Okay, so before we start this episode with Dr. Latifa and her hubby, Chile, I just want to quickly introduce my husband, Victor Mangona, because I actually forget to introduce him in the actual interview with the, with this lovely couple, and you're going to hear his voice pop in and you may be confused. So that is Victor Mangona. He is my husband. He's a board-certified radiation oncologist. He specializes in pediatrics and protons, and then also he has a strong passion for real estate investing, physician finance, and and tax and taxes. He's a tax code enthusiast. And I'll tell you a little bit about him, a little bit more about him in our next episode at the beginning of the year. I'm gonna open up with an interview from him. So please, with no further ado. Hello friends, please help me welcome our guests on today's show. Doctors Latifat and Olu Shile or Shile Akintale. Dr. Latifat is a board certified GI physician, certified money and life coach, and Shile is an information technology specialist. And together they are money and real estate vloggers, the parents of three strong children, real estate investors times one and a half years, and are in their ninth year of marriage. Welcome. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Good to be here. So happy to have you guys. Okay, so before we get into your money story, um, tell us, and your love story, tell us your definition of marital interdependence. I'd like to ask all of our guests, what makes a successful marriage last? I think uh, the definition of marriage interdependence is when you're able to have a marriage without killing each other, <laughs> right? Without, well, not every day. Sometimes you do, but overall, not killing each other every day. And I think that the key to that is definitely communication um, and understanding the fact that you are different and your goal is not to make each other become each other, but to sort of identify each person's strengths and weaknesses and see how you can use that as an accessory to sort of move the marriage and the relationship forward. So that's my definition. Yeah, I, I think to add to that is to, to realize that you are always growing. You're all, and sometimes you're you're changing, and so to to acknowledge you know each each stage that you're in, and being able to appreciate those changes and actually find ways to keep moving forward together. I love that. Yes, for sure. Not to kill each other. Growing and appreciate appreciate the stage you're in. Appreciate the changes. That's perfect. Well, tell me about you guys. So, how did you meet? What was what was that first encounter like? Was it love at first sight? So we were joking about this particular one, and we were like, everybody has love at first sight, so that is normal. Is that not the norm? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But go ahead. No, for us, we've actually been friends for a very long time. We met back in Nigeria. We both grew up in Nigeria. Uh, we both did a couple of years of college in Nigeria before we moved here, and that's how we met. We were friends. And well, I guess we're more like acquaintances, mm -hmm. but we had a mutual friend, which is actually kind of funny because the mutual friend was his roommate and was interested in Latifad, apparently. Um, <laughs> and so what would happen is he knew the friend knew a lot about me because we were friends and he wanted to take it to another level. And he would go back to the room and tell his roommate, Shile, about this girl, Latifad. 
So Sheila knew all about me, even though I knew nothing about him. <laughs> and that's how our, that's like the first encounter that we ever had. So whenever I saw him, it would be like looking a little too friendly. And I'm thinking, I don't know this dude. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, so that's how it kind of started. His friend would tell him all about me. He knew all about me. His entire family knew about me, even if I, though I knew nothing about, it was like the stalker kind of without <laughs> stalking. <laughs> but, uh, that's kind of the dramatic, uh, version of it. But we, we, I moved to the United States in 2002 and he moved in 2004. And when he moved here, we sort of stayed connected and I would just check up on him per, how is transition going in the U.S.? Just, you know, be nice. Nothing more to that. And then um, we just, I got to know him a little bit more through that experience of just being mutual, just friends. And then in 2006, between college and med school, I did an internship in New Jersey. So I was in New Jersey for a summer and he was living in New York then. So he would come visit in New Jersey and I think at that point, we're already older than we were before. And I just started talking to him a little bit more and actually listening to what he had to say. And I realized that this guy's actually a nice guy. <laughs> and, you know, he, um, yeah, so that was how it started, I would say. Yeah. Wow. So that was several years later. Okay. So how many years was that between your first encounter in the college and then? Yeah. So we had the first encounter was probably 2001. 2001 in college. And so she moved a year after that to the United States. And then two years after that, I moved. That was 2004. And we just kept, at the time in 2004, it was all about AOL. So you, you would probably <laughs> send emails. <laughs> so it was all about email. So we would send emails back and forth. And then we started calling one another. And like she said, she had an internship in New Jersey. I, I was living in New York at the time and she came over and then I went to visit her. And so we start, and then I think the, the year after that, we started dating officially, but she moved, she moved back to California. Uh, and so we were doing long, long distance, distance for about five to six years. Like New Jersey and California or New York and California? New York and California. Oh my God. Like serious long distance? Serious yes. long distance. We would fly. We were really broke at the time because we were college students. Well, I was in med school. You were in college. I was in college. So we would actually save our money and we would travel every three months. So I would travel <laughs> every three months. And then the next three months she would travel and we were doing that and we were scrapping out, scrapping changes together to travel. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys had to have really loved each other. <laughs> I mean, you know, to be honest, there were nice things about being long distance. I could focus on med school and my friends, and he could do the same because he was working a ton. Mm -hmm. And he was also, I mean, he started college all over again at that point, and you finished in three years, right? Because you were working, years. you were doing that crazy and working full time as well. So I think the nice thing about long distance is we're both able to focus on our lives separately. Mm -hmm. And then like every three months would bring up broke cells together. <laughs> and hang yeah. So what, okay, so what was it? What was it about him, Latifa, that you fell in love with? I will tell you, and it's so he laughs about this, but I'm like, dude, when we first met, you were not exactly as good looking as you are today. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's aged very nicely. But on a more serious note, <laughs> sorry. Um, on a more serious note, though, for us, it was the fact that, so I'll tell you why. When I was in New Jersey that summer, we actually lost, I lost a family friend. And Chile, unfortunately, had lost an older brother in the military at that point before then. And so when I was dealing with the loss of a friend, I kind of like would tap into his wisdom on how do you sort of like go on when someone, so when you lose someone so close to you. And I think that was really the window to getting a good understanding of his thoughts. Um, and the other thing as well was the way that he spoke about women was very different and was very refreshing. That honestly was probably the number one thing that I attracted, you know, that, made the attraction stronger was I'm like, this guy really respects women. And that was literally the strongest magnet for me. Wow. Okay. So that was different than like what you had been used to in, um, in Nigeria and America, like in general, just in general. I mean, you know, at that time we were relatively young and most people were trying to be cool, you know, go with the 
crowd. So they're not trying to make their respect or how they think about women be the primary thing. They're just like, I just want to be cool and hang out and have fun. But for him, and it wasn't about respecting me, it was respecting random women and how we talked about random women. And I'm just like, if someone can respect a random woman like this and the way they speak about them and address them, then I think that's someone that I could learn something from. Got it. And, and what about you, Sheila? Yeah, so for, I think for me, uh, just to piggyback on what she said, I, I, I got my respect from my, from my mom. My mom, was, my, I, I see my mom as an alpha, alpha person. She's very, she's very strong. So I think I got that respect from her. So when I grew up, she kind of instilled that in me. Uh, I think for me, it, it, it has always been, you know, God for, for me, you know, someone who respects God, who loves God, who is drawn to God. And for her, I mean, like she said, it was kind of like a stock kind of thing. She was re- really beautiful, still beautiful. Back then I was. And now I, I, I was. <laughs> I was aged differently. And, and we would have. We would <laughs> but honestly, for me, I think it was we had great chemistry. We were, The conversation was always rich. Like we would talk, you know, it was long distance. So we would actually talk for hours. And we kept doing that. And so the fact that we could have a conversation and talk for hours was just a no-brainer for me. And we just built on top of that. And I told you I couldn't date someone that wasn't a good cook. So you actually learned how to cook. I learned how to cook. Yes. And she, she taught me how to cook over the phone. Over the phone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you guys both cook. Yes. Well, now primarily she I'm does. A, I'm a better, more efficient cook. So cook. I take that off of our plate so that we can have an efficient family. (laughs) Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, Victor actually questioned whether he should propose to me because I didn't really cook. It wasn't the cooking. It was the fact that she didn't really eat meals. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in residency. Oh, my gosh. And you guys offer five to six years long distance. Yeah, so those long conversations that just felt like nothing. Yeah, I mean, or not felt like nothing, but were effortless and just you need it. That's perfect. We would slip on the phone and just, and then I'll be like, okay, it's time to hang up. And then I would hang up. Okay. So you, you knew each other for several years. When was the proposal? Tell us about that. So the proposal was right after, well, right before graduation from med school. And it was, um, it was perfect in my opinion. So for me, when I, I lived in San Francisco and I had siblings that also lived in the Bay Area. So we are, we lived together in a town home on the East Bay, which is about 30 minutes from San Francisco. And I remember he was visiting from outside of, from New York. Um, and what happened was we were just hanging out. We went out to go eat and it was really distracted on his phone, but I thought it was dealing, he told me how to work emergencies and IT guys. So people call him all the time. But we were out and about. We went to the beach. We had some nice food, nothing major, nothing out of the ordinary. And then we went back to the house and I got there and I'm like, there are a bunch of cars, like someone's having a party or something. Yeah. And so what he had done was my family is super important to me. My friends are super important to me. And it literally got every single sibling of mine in the U.S. and every single friend from med school that was very important to my heart the way all there in the house and it was sort of like a surprise proposal and i had no choice but to say yes because the way all there so much pressure how many siblings were there so in the u.s i have five siblings well there are five of us and then i have two one in the uk and one in nigeria so all five of us were all there together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, they're, they're everything to me. So that was perfect. Oh, I, that is so sweet. I know we love family too. Although, yeah, our proposal was a little bit different. It was, it was away from all friends and family. Okay, well, let's move on to now. Tell me about, about your day-to-day structures and routines. You talked a little about how you're efficient cooking. What other things do you have in place at your home or in your car at work that support your busy lifestyle? Like you do so much stuff, your doctor, your real estate, you know, his IT job, all that kind of stuff. What do you have in place to support your family and your relationship? 
So for us, we have three kids who mm -hmm. are between the ages of two and seven. And unfortunately, we're in the midst of COVID. So things, life before COVID is very different from now. But what we do now is actually he does their schooling, their remote schooling in the mornings because I have to be physically in my physician job. So he does that for about three hours. We are fortunate to have an amazing um, grandma slash nanny that helps us take care of the kids. So once they're done with school, they go to the nanny uh, in our home and then they're hanging out all day until we come back. So the childcare part has been huge for us. It's a, you know, it's a significant expense like childcare usually is, but it's still worth it for us because that's how we're able to do the work that we do. And then our kids have a strict bedtime usually so post bedtime is when we get to put our heads together and either watch a show or have a money date or, you know, work on whatever projects we're doing together or just checking with each other. Or I may be editing a video. He may be talking to his guys, whatever. But really the post bedtime with the kids is time that we use very efficiently. Right. And then on Fridays, we always have we always have a date every Friday. We have lunch together every single Friday without kids. Same place. <laughs> they know us. They know us. Yes. But it's just time to check in and see each other without the busyness of our lives. Right. So do you guys both have Fridays off or Friday afternoons off? Yes. So so I, I went because um, I have my own IT business. So I started that last year. So that has tremendously helped us with Fridays. So what I try to do is I book my all my clients. I try to communicate to them that Fridays are off. Right. And so and she has not every Friday off, but, but, almost. but almost every Friday off. So we try to that's why we we dedicate Fridays to that lunch time when we can go drive out, you know, talk and just have lunch, just just hang out. So, yeah. Because otherwise, weekends often turn into, you know, family time, which is per which is great. But then, you know, your children take up a lot of that. All right. When when we're with the kids, like you, like you know, the kids just take the, the whole time. Yeah, the conversations are always like, okay, me, 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 me. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And tell me a little bit about this grandma or granny slash nanny. What is? How did you find her? What's her actual title and her role? Like, does she live with you? Not live with you? It's been a huge blessing, and the way we found her was literally a miracle. Um, I told one of our nurses at work that I was looking for someone to help us watch our then baby. Our youngest was, I was on maternity leave. And she said, huh, that there was another nurse that worked at my hospital whose mom raised her kids and her kids are now grown and grandma was bored. Um, so we talked, we met grandma, we liked grandma and grandma stays with us Mondays through Fridays and goes home on weekends. So it's great. She's been with us for two years. Two years now. Yeah. So usually when we come back from work, she clocks out, but she's 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 a part of our family in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And so she does she live with somebody else on the weekends? Yes. yes. So she yes, exactly. So she lives with family, her family on the weekends. Okay. And it's also nice having somebody there even at night if she's not working, just in case to have to have somebody. Yeah, it's it's great during the weekdays because she's tremendously helpful. She's literally family, she's family. At this right now. So pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, we don't bother her at night because we, you know, we want her to get you know rest up and all that. But it's, for example, in the morning for us, we used to do daycare before, like a physical daycare. But um, the reason why we did not want a nanny was I was always paranoid about someone coming late. So that was a huge one for us. So she's never late because we literally leave. And then also back in the day, we had to wake our kids up early in the morning, like at 630, so we could drop them at daycare or preschool before we went to school, before we went to work. So that this has been great because our kids get to sleep a little longer. And I mean, it's definitely a privilege, but we're grateful for that. Yeah. Yes, same here. We used to do daycare. Yeah, and oh my gosh, that in itself. Um, the mornings were so stressful. Oh, especially when you have an emotional vomiter who vomits in her car seat every day. We love having a, a nanny now. And then, so do you Do you two have any morning or daily routines that set you up for success or any monthly or yearly routines? Yeah, so just to, yeah, daily routines, I would say, um, I personally try to stay off of social media in the mornings. Uh, personally, because 
I realized that it, there's just a lot of stuff out there. And before you know it, it, it kind of clouds up your, your whole day before. So, so when I wake up in the morning, I intentionally stay away from social media until my day starts. And I'm in the, I'm in the home office and then I can kick off my, my day and then selectively go through social media. For her, she tries to get like 30 minutes, sometimes even 45 minutes before the day starts. Like early in the morning, she would wake up, go into the closet, mm-hmm. have her own me time, do our own like brain dump, you know, ideas. Mental download. Mental download. <laughs> pray. Pray, read her Bible, myself, do what she yeah. wants to do. And then she comes out. So that's so we do that. And for her, I believe it, it has helped her to be very productive. Because those ideas are fresh and she can just put them down on paper real quick. And for me, I've been healthier because I've been staying away from social media. Oh, I love that one. I, I, you know, I've kind of toyed with, yeah, when is, when are, are going to be my social media times? Am I going to stay up on, mostly on the weekends? So, but yeah, okay, so off in the morning, yeah, I'm going to have to think about that. And then, and, then, and then that 30 to 45 minutes of Latifat time. What if the kids need something? Do they go to Chile? Yeah, so they the kids just well our middle kid she she doesn't have any time. She just walks straight into the room. So <laughs> so usually at that point I, I I I take care of her. You know if she needs anything I help her with it. So yeah. Okay. Is she four, five? She is she is five going to six. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna think about that, Victor, because our three year old wakes up every morning at six now. It used to be seven, but now it's six after the time change. And and yeah, she it, jumps into the bed. <laughs> my eyes open. Yeah, but usually you stay here, able to stay asleep for an hour, and I'm just like, okay. I'm not even sure if I can say this live on air, but I'm gonna say it anyways. Feel free to edit out. But on Saturdays, I tell my kids, whoever wakes up first is gonna get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, so oh, they want to stay in their room or stay in their bed and play. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, whoever comes out first gets in trouble. <laughs> and now, now, do they all share a room or does the two-year-old have their its own? Or? No, they share a room because they, we have three girls. So they share the same room. But but our middle kid is the only one notorious <laughs> walk out every almost every night. Almost every night. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. So our seven-year-old sometimes wakes up and goes, well, I'm sad that I don't get to see mommy and daddy in the morning before they go to work. And she goes, well, that's kind of your fault. I see them every day. <laughs> <laughs> that is so perfect. So she knows, she knows how to work the system. Yeah. She does. She does. Okay. Now, turning uh, the corner here, talking about finances, how do the two of you get on the same page regarding spending, saving and investing. We haven't always been on the same page, mm-hmm. but we have learned to communicate and compromise. And again, I always tell couples cuz you know, I I do this, I teach people about money and mindset, and I always tell them that the best thing to do is come into it with curiosity and no judgment at all, and we try to take that approach and we also have guidelines cuz where there are no rules, there's no laws, right? And we're just going to frustrate each other. So, we know that if you're spending more than a certain amount of money, you need to let the other person and no, not because they're your mother or your father, but it's just because of accountability. And it's just about helping you both be on the same page. So that's been a big one for us. Mm-hmm. We tend to talk a lot about the things we want to buy, like, should we buy a Peloton? Should we buy a new mattress? So there are no big surprises. Sure. And even mm-hmm. though we have different, we both have different credit cards um, individually, but also one that we use commonly for household stuff and also checking accounts and saving accounts. We have it all synced together into Mint and we both have access to it. So if I'm looking at Mint and there's something weird, I'm like, hey, babe, what's this? Not because I'm like, why the hell would you spend all that money? But it's more of curiosity of, oh, what, is there a reason why we didn't talk about it? You know, so that's been a big one for us, that big communication, but primarily based on curiosity mm-hmm. and no judgment. Mm-hmm. And we also have a, a personal capital, too. Yeah. And that also helps us a lot. So, yeah. So the reason why is um, if, if we're going to spend some, like a huge amount of money, it's just good. It's just good communication just to let the person know I'm about to spend this amount of money uh, and it's going to come out of this account so that that person is prepared. And 
it gives us the it gives both of us the opportunity to talk about it and say, okay, do you really need to spend this amount of money? Um, we do have, like she said, we have separate accounts, but we also have joint accounts. So the separate accounts is because for me sometimes. I take care of stuff personally, for example, for my mom in Nigeria or my, you know, my family. And the same thing with her, too. And that comes off or out of our separate accounts. Right. But still, it's still we have the same mint dashboard. We have the same personal capital dashboard so we can talk about it and see how money is going in and out. Oh, yeah. Victor loves personal capital. He'll, he'll tell me, hey, check personal capital. And then I'll log in. But then the code will be sent to his phone. So that he'll, and the same thing with like Vanguard, like I'll be logging in Vanguard and he'll be freaking out that some person is trying to steal all our money. Or something. I'm like, just tell me if you're going to log into the account. You log in and it gets sent to the wrong person's phone. It happens to us every day. Every day. <laughs> every day. But I think now you know that. So usually when it gets a login, it just, it doesn't even wait for me to call. It just sends me the login. I just sent to her. <laughs> Now, out of curiosity, do you have your individual accounts both at the same bank or are they different? Because I've had issues with personal capital with two different logins. Oh, that's interesting because we have it, uh, separate separate bank accounts. I use Bank of America. She uses another account. Uh, it's Chase. Yeah, and she uses Chase. And, but for us, for some reason, personal capital syncs well on our phones, actually. Mm-hmm. Ours is too. Uh, I've had issues like if we have – she has her own Chase account and I have my own Chase account. And it only wants you to sign, log into one of the Chase accounts, or you put both of them in, it'll double up our joint account. So, like, one of our accounts just falls off, or sometimes things, things synchronize well, sometimes they don't. But I love personal capital. I think it's the, the best the best aggregator. Yeah. I agree. I'm concerned, though, now that they've, you know, changed ownership. I, I, I wonder what's going to change in terms of whether their fee structure is going to change. Oh, did they get bought out? Yeah, a couple months ago. Oh, I had not heard. Hopefully all good. Interesting. Well, they'll probably start rolling out more funds and things to monetize their service. Okay. So then at the uh, end of the day, in terms of managing the finances, whether it be the day-to-day or versus the investing and bigger picture things, um, how do you divide or cooperate in the logistics of all of this? So um, Latifah is really good with money, right? That's that's her expertise. So she, she so I just, I don't try to, I leverage her. That's that's the word we use. <laughs> I leverage her expertise and say, okay, you do the money. Um, and and the same thing with uh, real estate. Um, she's really good with um, going into Redfin and filtering out all that needs to be filtered out and say, okay, Sheila, look at this uh, property and you do the cash and cash calculator. So that's what I bring to the table. I'm very good with calculating I'm very good with organizing. I'm very good with putting things in folders. So every property has a folder. Even if we don't, we end up not getting the property, there's a folder for it. There's a folder for tax returns. There's a folder for this or that. So that's what I bring in because it's all IT related. And so that just comes naturally for me. And for her, you know, money expertise, able to spot a real estate and say, okay, let's just, that's the one or go for that. So, yeah. And I think that goes back to the point of what you guys were talking about with the interrelationship and interdependence. I feel like if I was married to someone that was me, we would have those big ideas. We'll come up with those structures. You know, like we'll come up with the how to do it, like steps one through 10, but it's not going to get done. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's great because we come, we sit down together, but he knows, like, the, he knows my strengths. I hate paperwork. Mm-hmm. You know, he signs a lot of things on my behalf. <laughs> I hate paperwork. He knows exactly where all the paperwork is. Cool. And I'm very grateful for that. And he doesn't judge me for not liking <laughs> paperwork. He has the Latifat stamp. He can just like stamp on everything. Yes. We uh, made an offer on a property today. And, you know, when we got the paperwork, it's like 30 something pages. I'm just like, babe, have you read the pages? Yeah. It reads every single I'm the line. One that read all the pa- I read everything. It reads everything. I do all that. Yeah. Wow. wow. So, in terms of your work, then, are you working IT as your primary occupation or is it now real estate? Have you been able to leverage the real estate as- aspect high enough? 
yes. Yes. Because we're going to be real estate professionals for 2020. For 2020. Mm, congratulations. First year? First year. First year. Yeah. Uh, good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's uh, that you know, talking about efficiency with work. That's efficiency of of your income and investing is that's yeah. the way to maximize it. Absolutely, absolutely. So yes, we try to do that. Is that's his primary thing right now. But the IT it's its own contracting stuff. So it has um, guys that is sort of coaching slash onboarding to become IT experts mm-hmm. and sort of like grow that in that way. So it's pretty exciting to see all this stuff coming together. So what kind of IT do you work on then? Yeah, so I do a lot of uh, network and de- network design for a lot of um, state uh, agencies and also private sector companies. So um, I've, I've, it, it has come over a couple of years, the experience. So I actually don't, all my clients have been word of mouth, right? I actually, I've never used my business card. <laughs> so that's good. So I've been able to selectively I narrowed down on just a few clients. So that way I'm not taking on too much. But they're big clients. They're yes. like DMV. Yeah. And then I balance that out with, uh, yeah. Big. Yeah. The big clients. And then I balance that with real estate because we have some properties local to Sacramento. And I manage those myself. Yeah. And I, in a way, I kind of enjoy it. So that's another thing that I do too. You know, I deal with the tenants. I love taking care of them. And hi, congratulations! How many doors are you at now? Then how many do we have? We have seven. We're seven. trying to get. We're trying to get four more this year. This year, then we're done for a minute. Wow! In it's one like, and a half years, years. Yes, they have six weeks. They have six weeks to do it. So yeah, an offer on today. Close it by the by December thirty first, and you could take bonus depreciation for twenty twenty. Yes, yeah. actually, we got that in a year. Our first one was in December of last year. Correct. Was when we closed on on that one, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Congratulations. People always want to talk about debt when it comes to money, and especially real estate and whatnot. Uh, We talk about things like good debt versus bad debt. Do you have thoughts about this uh, and how you choose as to investing more or paying down other debts? So when it comes to debt, it's sort of like I don't think of good or bad. It's a question of whether it's increasing our net worth or not, whether it's an asset or a liability. We are very objective about money. We're not, we try not to be emotional about it at all. So it makes it pretty easy to manage because if it's not adding money into our pocket or building our net worth, then it's quote unquote bad debt. Unless we choose to uh, do it, like, you know, if it's adding value to our lives, if we know that we can afford to pay for it, but we're choosing not to pay cash, we may take on that debt. For example, looking at Peloton, and it was saying 0% APR. We may end up doing it if it's 0% APR for 40 months or whatever, if the numbers are still the same thing. So that's debt, but it's not adding or taking away from our lives per se. So that's how we think about debt. And then your med school debt. So oh, med school yeah. debt is actually did a video on this one. I think a lot, you guys are getting me all excited because I'm talking about money, right? <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to med school debt, so here's the deal. I think that it would be great if we had no debt period. And I think that it's pretty almost close to being unethical, The how high the debt is becoming for physicians. However, I have chosen to take a different approach to my debt, which we've fortunately paid off now. But the thought that I had was, if I did not have access to student loans, I would not be a physician today. So for me, I'm grateful that I took out the business expense, which is my student loan, and now once I'm done setting up this business, which has become an attending, then I made the decision to pay down that business expense however I choose to. Because I tell people, if someone comes to you right now and says, hey, Kate, I have this business idea. I want you to invest $200,000 into this business. And after, you know, it's going to take five years, but after that, you get $200,000 every single year as long as you show up to work and do what you're supposed to do. You would go, sign me up. Where is the catch, right? (laughs) However, when it comes to our med school loan, we chose to demonize it and make it seem like it's this horrible thing. Again, I think there should be a cap on the maximum that people should be charged, and after that, it should be free. However, I've chosen to attack and teach people to approach student loans from a place of gratitude 
in terms of I'm grateful that I have this degree. I'm grateful that I have this career and I can choose to pay it off now or take my time depending on what the interest rate is. So that's my take. Oh my gosh. I have never heard of that. Gracious. Okay. I have gratitude in this. To have, have the opportunity to become a physician, you know, if the only thing stopping you from becoming a physician is the money and there's a means to get that taken care of, then by all means, because if, if we didn't have loans, I mean, I, I don't think I would be a, a physician. I don't think there would be, have been a way for me to even p- pursue the path. So absolutely. And when you think about business loans and the return on investment, you know, if you can have a one-to-one ratio, you know, your debt versus your annual income on it, that's an incredible ratio. I mean, no investment's going to return 100% in a year. It should be no interest and capped at 200 and maybe $50,000. I think that should be the maximum. Anything over that should be free. But because I, you know, if someone's coming out of med school with $600,000 in loans, I feel like that's unethical of the loan industry. However, I think that if we can change our mindset about debt, we will not feel like this is something that we have to rush to pay and it's hurting us every single moment we have it. No, life doesn't have to be painful. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't. It's interesting how you call it the loan industry because it's the government, right? And I mean, my loans were at six point eight percent, probably probably yours as well, uh, or and some of them were eight and a half. But I mean, one, we it is a business debt, right? Because you can't really use med school degree for anything else other than being a doctor. It's not like being uh, having a law degree or an MBA. It's strictly a professional degree for a particular purpose. So it should be tax deductible, at least, uh, in my opinion, uh, without a cap. And uh, it should be tied to something like the 10-year treasury, something reasonable. So they're not making money off of us. Because ultimately what happens is it just drives up the cost of, cost of school because they know that people can have loans. And then you can't discharge them in bankruptcy. And so you end up just taking these super high interest loans that are unsecured by anything. And we have two, the two biggest crises I, I see outside of COVID are the retirement crisis and the student loan crisis. I agree with you. And it sucks that I agree the government can definitely make a change, right? However, we know there's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And that sucks because it's unethical how high the debt is running, but there should be a cap. It should be no interest for a number of years while you're in training and for a couple of years after training. And whatever interest you're paying should be tax deductible. I agree with you 100%. But until that happens, we're not going to let our student loans suffocate us. We're going to pay down from a place of abundance. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we haven't actually, and we've been relatively vocal about it, but we haven't paid down our debt any faster than we've had to Um we we're still, paying minimum payments. I mean, we still have four hundred and like fifty thousand plus. Um, but when we finished training, you know, we made out like a five-year plan and said, you know, we could spend five years building up assets, or we could spend, you know, time paying down debts and delaying your assets. I mean, you're still gonna, uh, from a net worth standpoint, from an, I didn't want to be in a position where if something happened to one of us, we would basically have just paid off our debt and have nothing else. Right. You know, our assets have just piled up and piled up and piled up and our loans will get paid off. But then we look at the the actual cost of our of our debt versus our tax. Like to me, tax and student loan debt are the same thing. Right. Where do they go? It's going to the government. But people people agonize more about student loans than they agonize about the income tax they pay, which is way higher from a point of gratitude. I'm very thankful that we're paying six figures in, in, in income tax every year. We paid it off pretty quickly. And the reason why we did was, I mean, we didn't know anything about finances five years ago. Our financial journey actually started five years ago. Um, and we that was the best thing we knew how to do. Now that I'm more of a, you know, expert in that field. Mm -hmm. If I was to do it again, I would probably not do it that way. However, I'm grateful that I'm done with it and I get to take more risks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we still have that payment every month. So, I mean, we have enough cash in the bank right now. We could wipe it all away. Uh, And sometimes I do think about it, but we kind of came up with a plan, you know, this we're going to do and we're going to stick to this. But 
Um, it's already been, we just hit five years, like just this past month since uh, we finished training. So mm-hmm. um, we've, we've, uh, we've kind of fit, finished that chunk of our goals. And oh, yeah, now we need to sit down to, again, I guess, and to figure come out what with our next, next five-year plan is. Next five-year plan. <laughs> okay. Now you're both from Nigeria. Can you talk a little bit about how your upbringing and cultures have influenced your mindset of money before and how that's changed and what obstacles may have given you along the way? That, that's a good question. Um, I think, um, so Nigeria um, is a, it's a, very, it's a multicultural um, uh, country. So um, it's, you could have different takes depending on where you're from or from what part of Nigeria you, you, you're from. So for me, um, um, my upbringing was more about saving money. Like just try to save money because that's, you're saving money for a rainy day. And I, I grew up with that, with that concept. And, and I migrated to the United States with that thought. It's only after I got here that I realized that, wait, the, you can save money, but the money's not working for you. You can actually, why not just employ <laughs> the money and let the money go and work for you while you pursue whatever you're pursuing in your career. And so that's the, the change. And I've had family members from a good place who question me and question us and say, why are you doing real estate? Why are you, why are you breaking out and doing your own business? Why did you quit your job? <laughs> why are you taking on risk? Why didn't you go? You need to go back to the nine to five. Aren't you scared? And, and it's amazing how it's coming from a good place. It is. It's just that, well, I can actually take a risk and it can be calculated risk. And I can actually have my money go work for me as opposed to just trying to save money into the bank. So that's my take. But Yeah, for us, my, I mean, my, both of my parents worked. My mom stayed home at some point while we were growing up. Um, to take care of us. My dad did most of the working and he had more of the money than she did. So there was definitely not a oneness in that regard. There was even within the family, one person had money and the other didn't. So for us, it's definitely been different in terms of being intentional about how we want to direct our money and how we want money to be a conversation between both, where every debt belongs to both of us and every asset belongs to both of us. So that's been a big change mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my dad actually did do real estate when I was growing up. So there was that part. But even with that, you know, it still is of the mindset that you're a doctor. What are you doing talking about money? <laughs> what are you doing trying to find another? Because a lot of people don't understand that even as physicians, we should have multiple sources of income. Oh my gosh, you know, it takes a lot of courage, right? To break out of these old mindsets you grew up in. So tell us, how did you guys find that courage as a real estate investor or even as a physician um, and then as a parent and spouse? It it took a lot of, you know, talking about it because there was a lot of fear coming from that culture and that upbringing that you're about to take a a huge risk. And Latifa had been, she'd been telling me, Sheila, you've always wanted to start your business there's no better time than just doing it. So and it that took years for me to overcome, literally. And even last year when I pulled the plug, I was really scared because I was coming from a place where I didn't have enough education about you can actually take a calculated risk and and pursue this lifelong dream. And you know, you can fall back to nine to five if you want to. For me, it was more like I'm taking a lip and there's no ground floor. <laughs> so, so that was, that was, that took a lot of effort and she was very patient with me because she, we were talking through that. And it was right after that, we were, we were talking about real estate and she found semi-retired MD. Uh, and we just, she said, Sheila, do, do you want to take this? We're like, I said, you know what, let's just, just go for it. Let's just buy the course. And I think that changed our lives completely because that course is built for not only physicians, but physician families mm-hmm. on how to overcome, first of all, their mindset, you know, and then start investing and having multiple streams of income. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the nine to five will always be there. They're, the nine to fives are not going away. So if the risks you take don't work out, then <laughs> then you fall back. <laughs> 
And it's kind of good to not think that there is a backup because if you force yourself to swim, you're going to, you're going to learn to swim faster. When you always think that you have a safety net, you might not be willing to make that extra, extra push to make it happen. Because a lot of people think that when you're starting a business, becoming an entrepreneur, that you're going to have linear growth. You know, I put in this much, I get that much out. I put this much, I get that much out. And they think this is going to be a straight line. It's going to be flat. And it's going to go down. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the reality. But we, we're so used to equating time for dollars and seeing that linearity of output and input. Um, but that's, that's not how businesses are. And then you realize, oh, it's exponential. And it's like, I think 2020, if there's anything that people will have learned, is have a little bit better understanding of exponential growth. Because if it only takes three days for something to double, yeah, that, that's that's amazing because, uh, you know, taking those leaps for a lot of people is unbelievably hard. It's awesome that you have supportive people uh, in a relationship because so often I see people who don't have a supportive spouse. But I also, I mean, for me, what one thing that's huge for me is freedom, hmm. freedom of mind, like freedom of spirit. And nine to five makes that hard for hmm. you. I still have a nine to five job that I absolutely love because I get to see GI patients that are complicated and I truly love that and zero plans of stopping that. However, when you have a plan B, when you have, it's almost like your life is scheduled in one place and then it's crazy exciting somewhere else, Mm -hmm. right? So I love that and it actually helps decrease burnout. It creates for some excitement in life that happens to pay you dividends if you persist at it. And I want to look back on my life and know that I did everything that I chose to do. And that's how we've approached our marriage and our careers and our interests. And that's how we will continue to approach it. Oh my gosh. I know we, but why will we totally feel that we both have our physician day jobs, which we really enjoy and find, you know, find a lot of joy in helping our patients. But then, yeah, it's like we have something else. We're both always thinking about super exciting or outside passions. And when you lose that, it's like you become, you get focused more on the the parts of work, the parts of the physician job that are just, we can't change and we feel stuck. And that's when we get, yeah, burnt out. So it's exciting when you can have both and you can't. Exactly. You can't. With good planning, a lot of patients and understanding something has to give yeah. in some shape or form, right? And freedom of mind, freedom of spirit. And thank God for Leti and Kenji, right? Yes. yes. They are people. We love them. Love them so much. Yes. <laughs> now, I have a question about now that you, you've kind of you've evolved. You said at the beginning of this that, you know, we change as people, right? Uh, it sounds like you both have changed and maybe have changed even more closer together throughout this experience. How do your children come into this and are you exposing them to this and how are you raising them um, to kind of see these ideas that most people aren't really exposed to? That's a powerful question. I think, um, it's it's been it's been a joy to 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 bring the kids along because the kids it took them a while before they fully understood that I had quit my job and started my own business. It took them a while. They would const- especially the uh, our oldest would ask me, "Daddy, where are you going? Are you, are you, are you going to the garage? Is that, is that where you?" <laughs> And it and I had to tell her over a period of months that I have my own business, I have my own clients, and finally she she got it, and the kids are now finally getting it. And and there was one even when Latifa started her coaching uh, business, um, it took the kids a while too because they would ask me, "Daddy, where is mommy?" Oh, she's coaching someone about money again. Okay, I'm proud of. Her. <laughs> they literally say that they're like so. What, what exactly does, like, we hear them talking, and they're like, yeah, mommy teaches people how to use money for good. She gets to teach people. Why do people need you to talk to them for an hour? Because <laughs> there's a lot of money to be used for good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So it's it's been a joy, and I think they you can see that they would want to, they, they, they are now exposed to that. They, they have that option to, in the future, become entrepreneurs. 
uh, because they're seeing their parents do that, or they have the option to say, you know what, I can do nine to five if I want to. But I, I, I'm growing up in a home where both parents are literally entrepreneurs. And I think that is just a joy. That's something that I don't, I think growing up, you, 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 I, I had that, but I wasn't taken along as, as now I'm learning from that. And I think we are, we are both taking the kids along. So it's like a daily thing. So if Latifa disappears, they're like, oh, mommy has gone coaching. Okay, I get it. <laughs> and now they're practicing with my microphone. They're like, right. hi, I'm Money D. I said I had to go work on the computer for a few minutes. And she said, I'm going to go upstairs and work work also. So, And she's like, I'm going to go to my computer. So she goes to, to, to Kate's computer in the other room. And she sits down and starts saying, medicine. And she's like, hello, friends. <laughs> Medicine money. Yeah, she says medicine money. She skips the marriage part. No friends. It's a, it's a joy. And what we show them sticks more than what we tell them. Correct. Yeah. Right? And we are, I mean, we're busy, but we are scheduled, but we are mm-hmm. very intentional. We spend a ton of time with them. And when we spend, it's quality for us, even mm-hmm. more so than quantity. And when we're with them, it's intentional. And my hope, and fortunately for them, they have a dad who's a feminist, in my opinion, <laughs> right? And the good part of that is they get to see what we stand for. They get to learn mm-hmm. from what we stand for, not just from us preaching to them about it, but hopefully from us showing them that they can really do anything they want to do. Correct. So, Well, okay, guys, do you guys have any bit, anything we forgot to talk about or left out relates to medicine, marriage, money for our listeners today? Anything... I don't know any 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 advice to give our listeners today. I think I would say that because this is you know the money part we get that the relationship part you know our relationship is probably one of the things that's the most expensive thing to us. It can help us grow and it can literally destroy us. And I think sometimes people look at relationships and think that it's oh these people are lucky because they have such a great marriage. It's not something that happens. It's something that's created. It's something mm-hmm. that's made, right? And I think that my goal is just to encourage people that it's not always going to look pretty or easy, but it requires a lot of intentionality mm-hmm. and risk benefit assessment, right? Like if you're marriage or relationship doesn't work out, it's, it stands in your way. It's just one more baggage that could cost you financially, mentally, emotionally, and everything. So it's just so worth investing the mm-hmm. money and the time into it. Mm-hmm. And that may mean that it happens for you automatically, but that may mean like getting a therapist, a marriage counselor, whatever you need to do, just mm-hmm. make it work. Mm-hmm. And there is beauty in it and you really can help each other grow and thrive. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would just add to that that... You can't. You cannot do it alone. You are not meant to do it alone. There's so much you can do as a person, but imagine when two heads come together, then you can do amazing things. I think that's something that, honestly, as a man, and from my background, and, and I'm just speaking for myself, I struggled with that for for a couple of years, and I can imagine other other men out there struggling with that. And I think it's just if there's anything I can say to to anyone listening is just you know. It takes a lot of effort, but it's good effort. The reward is amazing when you put when you put work into it. And you and like and like we said in the beginning, we are constantly changing and evolving. And so that means marriage requires constant change, constant effort, constant work. And it's just a joy when you can leverage one another instead of trying to wear two hats. Like just wear your hat. And let your wife or your spouse just wear his or her hat, and together, it's amazing what you can do. I love that. Yes, yes, that's perfect. Leverage one another. Good job. That was wonderful. Thank you guys so much for coming on our show today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Latifa and Chile, for coming on with those beautiful words of wisdom. I learned so much. Okay, so my four big take-home points from the Akitades. Number one, keep things simple when it comes to date nights or date days. If you're having trouble, can't come up with ideas, think everything has to be extravagant and different, just remember, keep things simple. You can schedule a regular a regular 
lunch date or a coffee date or a date run. And it can be the same time. It can be the same place. The Latifa and Oshile go to the same place. They're regulars. They don't have to think about it and they can just focus on each other and then the content. Their date night, their discussion. Keep it simple. Number two, schedule regular money dates. Whether this is once a month, four times a year, two times a year. And come with curiosity and no judgment. There need to be guidelines so that nobody's feelings, yours or your spouse's, gets hurt. We don't want to hurt feelings or then the money dates might not happen. So think, curiosity. Let this be your your money date mantra. Curiosity, no judgment, unconditional love. And, And besides just going on the money dates, Talk regularly about things you want to buy or plan to buy or or just thinking about buying with with your spouse. Keep things open so you can stay on the same page so there are no surprises. And, And remember, be curious and no judgment. Number three, money has no emotions. We talked a little bit about this last week with Dr. Koo. Whatever digit or numbers in your bank account, in your investment account, or on your debt score, wherever you're keeping track of all of your debt, that number has no emotions. It's not negative. It's not positive in terms of emotions. It's not sad, happy, angry, fearful. You give it the emotions that you choose to think about it. So be intentional about the emotions you place on those numbers in your accounts. What Latifa likes to do before she makes a purchase is ask herself, is this going to increase or decrease my net worth? Not, is it going to, is this going to make bad debt or good debt? Or she also likes to ask, is this adding value to my life? And I love that because sometimes we all want to buy things that might add a little bit of value. We might feel guilty about it, or we may be buying too many things, too many things, not enough things. You determine what that is for you and then just be intentional. Remember the emotions about those digits that you spend or in your accounts are under your control. Number three, relationships. I thought this was Brilliant when Chile says relationships are not something that happen. Relationships are something that is created. Invest the time and money into your relationship and then you will get out what you put in. And you're not meant to do it alone. If you need help, ask your spouse. Ask somebody else. Ask a professional. Ask somebody else. Reach out. Know that you are constantly changing as a person. That's completely normal. And when you're constantly changing and your spouse is constantly changing, then your relationship in turn needs to be dynamic as well. It is always evolving. So we must constantly be changing our relationship to keep up with us. A relationship is not something that happens. A relationship is something that is created. Now go and leverage one another. And that is it, my friends. I hope you got as much out of this episode that I did. I know I am walking away with so many great pearls and quotes I can tell myself next time I get stuck. I appreciate you guys more than I can ever express. All of your shares and subscribes and reviews, it means the world to me. I would not be here if it wasn't for you. I would just be talking to myself. And I hope you guys had a happy holidays. Uh, This is the Monday after Christmas or the Hanukkah season, whatever you guys celebrate, and almost to the new year. So we're going to say good riddance to 2020. Thank you, and good riddance. We can ask ourselves what we're going to look forward to and what our new plans will be for our relationship with our spouse and our bank account for the year 2021. And then we can also ask ourselves, what gifts did 2020 give us? I'm sure there may be something something 2020 has given us, taught us. Maybe we don't know yet. Maybe we're still figuring it out. But thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you walk away asking yourself 
Am I emotional about money? Do I think of purchases or debt as good or bad? Or do I think of purchases as increasing or decreasing my net worth? And how does the subtle change affect my mindset? Do I approach my student loans from a place of gratitude or a place of fear or anger? Do I demonize my medical student loans? Do I pay my debt down from a place of scarcity or abundance? How would this make a difference? Do I make calculated risks? And lastly, how do I leverage my spouse? That is it. Thank you so much. Please go fly away, spread positivity and joy into the world. Remember, you change the world starting at home. And for me, that means with my children and with my husband. I hope you enjoyed Victor's cameo appearance. You can follow him on Facebook. His group is called 39.6 Community. He actually does weekly shows, multiple weeks. Like it used to be nightly. Now it's like every other night, every third night, Facebook lives. I can edit my podcast. He cannot edit his lives. He does lives a few times a week. He tries to do it every day, but life happens. We have two children and a dog. So he does the Facebook lives. He teaches about finance, not just position finance, all finance, what car you should drive, what house you should buy, what investments you should make. And remember, it's all just fun and games for entertainment purposes. He's not any official finance anything. Thank you so much. And remember, you can also join my group, Medicine, Marriage, and Money on Facebook if you're a physician. You can visit my website, medicinemarriageandmoney.com if you'd like to sign up for a discovery call with me. Thank you so much and so much love to you and your spouse. See you next year. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.